0: Talk Radio.
1: Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find useful tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that te- helps you through life's journey. And our mentors might provide that roadmap for your journey. Who are these mentors? Well, the first uh, Thursday of each month, you will hear Alan Fox. The second Thursday, you will hear Coach uh, Chuck Reese, The third Thursday, it's usually John Murray on the – uh, fourth Thursday, it's either Coach Scott Williams or Linda LeClaire. And on special occasions, we're blessed to even have her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, join us. And on those fifth Thursdays that happen, and today is one of them, well, we've been blessed for the last three years to have people like Ashley Hopson, uh, Coach Scott Inge, uh PTR Executive Director, the USPTA Executive Director, USTA officials, and on really special days like today, I'm thrilled to have uh, the great uh, coach uh, and uh, actually a mentor of mine because he helped me in a few things, Nick Saviano. Um, So I expect to have a special show today. The um, nice thing about Block Talk Radio, of course, is that you can listen at any time you choose. Uh, very seldom do I hear Chuck Reese's American Tennis on Wednesdays live. I uh, usually uh, wind up catching it at 6 o'clock in the morning and sometimes not until 11 o'clock at night, but uh, that's the beauty of Block Talk Radio. You tell your friends to listen in If they miss the broadcast uh, live, which many people do, uh, then they can tune in uh, afterwards and they can listen at their own time. Uh, Each Thursday, because I do believe Dr. King, when he said our lives begin to end the day, we become silent about things that matter, I will give you my personal views normally. And those include... Uh, those views on North American tennis and naturally you'll hear my biased views which is that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and our colleges and who knows together we may we may wake up that sleeping giant called high school uh, tennis besides uh, our weekly conversation the Almighty willing you'll be also, be able to continue reading my views in Florida Tennis Magazine, as I previously expressed. If you disagree with me, please contact me at CoachDenise.FHSTCA@att.net. At Who knows? You may see your views uh, in Florida Tennis, or you may be uh, hear them on our uh, Network, uh, i coached Coach Denis and tennis broadcast. It wouldn't be the first time that it's happened. I don't understand why people don't agree with me all the time, but it's life that it happens, and I'm going to give you my views as I see them, and I do respect your views. And when you disagree, I do want to hear that. I would like to thank J.P. Weber Uh, and the Yellow Ball CEO for hosting our network. And if you're not listening to We Coach Tennis on, or should say following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, well, you're really missing uh, something. I would also remind you that if you're not subscribing to Florida Tennis Magazine or someone has taken the last copy of the magazine from your pro shop, you can always find my articles or the last issue of Florida Tennis at www.fhstca.org. Uh, you might also find one of Jim Mark's articles on the our Florida Tennis uh, magazine uh, now. The magazine is on all the social uh, media. Uh, those of you, uh, I was asked uh, just the other day if the, uh, second uh part of my article uh changes dangerous and necessary in tennis uh if that's going to be shared, I probably will the magazine i think uh comes out uh next week or tomorrow or the next day it should be out in the next week and uh if you don't see it there we'll probably post it on uh, my site. I also had somebody uh <laughs> said that uh, they they thought they um, knew what was going to be in part two and part three of that article. Well, part two you're going to see next week. Uh, part three, I could tell you the person that said they uh, already knows what's going to be on the uh, article. Um, you might be able to help me because right now the article's in about 50 different uh, pages, and I haven't put the third part of it together yet, but I will have it out the, uh, before the, that issue comes out. Like I was saying, I think I see uh, our uh, mentor on today. Let me see if I have him on. Uh, Coach, are you there?
0: Yes, uh, I'm here. It's Nick Saviano. Mm-hmm.
1: Nick, I haven't had chance to properly introduce you uh, yet, but uh, I've uh, those of you that follow my articles, you'll see I've mentioned Nick Saviano in a few of those articles. Uh, one of those articles I talked about um, being uh, one of those three major influences that helped me take uh, my old basketball coaching perspective into tennis coaching. Uh, I hope I—I uh, I have a couple of people when I talk about mentors and people that I look to. Uh, I I will remind people that most of the time those people are younger than me, so I don't want to age you, Nick, uh, but Nick Saviano is known. I I really don't need to introduce him uh, besides being the director of uh, Saviano High Performance Coaching. You've seen him on TV. Uh, You've read his uh, articles. And those of you that haven't uh, read his uh, book, Maximum Tennis, uh, well, all I just say is shame on you if you haven't. Uh, uh, it's been part of my uh, program, and uh, all the coaches that worked for me had uh, a copy of it. I truthfully, uh, with the 2004 hurricane, I lost a lot of my books, but I still have one of them left. Uh, which is the property of uh, John Denny's School of Tennis, but it's uh, you should be reading it. Nick, was there anything about the book that, uh, maybe before I get into a couple of the questions that people uh, had, is there anything that uh, you, in that book, that you would change today?
0: Well, actually, not much in terms of, changing. And first of all, before I start, thank you for the introduction. And um, you mentioning me as a mentor is certainly, uh, I take that. That's an honor for me. And um, I I thank you for that, those kind words. With regards to the book, the book was written uh, really with the intent of not having any fluff in it. There was supposed to just be fundamental principles in tennis, not, nothing too uh, exotic or uh, just really tried to be very solid. So um, as I look back and I look at the book a lot and uh, I would add things to it and, uh, you know, augment what is there, but I would change very little.
1: Well, I think uh, it's been what since 2002 when I went through the high performance coaching program and uh, spent a week with you up in Maryland. But uh, it, it sounds like you no know fluff, staying with the facts. I think that was one of the things uh, uh, I always said. I felt blessed to be able to go through the program while you were uh, running it there, and uh, uh, and of course you were. Uh, an influence. I, I first thought I had a pretty good uh, player development plan, and when I saw yours, I uh, said, "Well, gee, I'm almost on the same page. That's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to get along pretty good." <laughs> and then I, uh, I always i told people in uh, in the past articles and everything. The, the biggest thing I got out of there is the reminder that it wasn't my plan; it's the player's plan. That you know, it doesn't yeah. matter what you want to do, and I just, when you said that about no fluff and everything, I just go back to 2002 and think of your remarks, and uh, it's the players, that's who we try to help is the players, it's not about us, and uh, so I, I appreciate you staying there. One of the questions that I did get is uh, the discussion, and all the time comes up with junior development and high-performance coaching. And and quite frankly, I just seen this week somebody advertising for a coach, and I look at some of the stuff I read. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you would go into and just, uh, you know, what your opinion is of, uh, of that, because sometimes – I, I'm looking for somebody, what they're asking for, and it sounds like a recreational coach uh, to me and uh, not a high-performance coach. Would Can you spend a few minutes, not a few minutes, as much time as you want? I'd like this to be, I think the blessing I had was you teaching, and I, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to teach to our audience.
0: No absolutely let me be, I want to be clear. Tell me exactly what you're looking for me to express on. I want to be very specific
1: Well, there was a couple there was three uh, things that stood out uh, and one of them was uh, that uh, the question was that uh, you know can we discuss the junior uh, development? Uh, And high performance coaching And I think that's important Uh, And another one We have time to get into is uh, You know college Preparation and uh, You know and the professional Track fit into there and how It does and okay. I really uh, can't think of anybody better than you to qualify to talk about those three things. So if you okay. take them one at a time, if you you know if we have time to go through them all, be great. Or whatever time we have.
0: Okay. Well, look, it, it's such a vast area when you talk about uh, junior development, high performance development. It starts and it ends with the concept of. Uh, that is, when you're involved in coaching and educating, uh, it's a sacred trust. There is a trust there that has to be higher than just, okay, I've got a a business transaction with some person that's, um, you know, in, in some kind of business deal. Educating, coaching, guiding, mentoring, these are a higher responsibility. And it's even more so when you're talking about someone who is young, someone who looks up to you, someone that is impressionable, someone where parents hand to you uh, their precious young child or teenager, whatever, and they're looking to you to help guide their child. You first have to realize This is an enormous responsibility. I'm not overstating it. I'm not making it dramatic. It's just simply you have to go into it with the idea that you are going, always attempt to do what you believe is ultimately in the best interest of the child. And or the young person, even if they're a young adult, whether they're in college. And that to me is the guiding the guiding light where it helps you whenever you have to make decisions, difficult decisions, that's always your compass. And if you start with that then you're you're on solid ground. Now further to that comment, solid ground that's the same way into, um, you know, the really person, uh, you know, in tennis. And that is you want to understand different stages of development. You know, children, there are different stages in terms of their mental, emotional, physical development. You know, working with a young person that is 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, can be is very very different than somebody that's um, post-anal, uh, adolescence as a as opposed to pre-adolescence, and you need to understand at least the basics of that, and how you're going to communicate with this th- this person, and understanding the sensitivities of each individual stage. Now, when you have their best interest in you, you you're You've got to seek out being well-educated in these areas, foremost, fundamental principles. And this is part of my own philosophy of coaching. It would be fundamental principles of of tennis, um, depending upon the stage of development, but basic fundamental principles in tennis development really don't change much regardless of age, unless you're talking about beginners. Um, they're applicable. I literally worked with a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, and the next hour had a top world-class player coming on the court, and we might be working on some similar things, obviously at a higher level of execution, but the same fundamental principles. They should really transcend different levels of play and they should transi- transition through different time periods. In other words, different generations. I'll give you an example of a female principle um, in technique for example that would be applicable to a 10-year-old and is applicable to a world-class player. I like to say to my the the players I work with, I want you to try to get every ball in your optimum hitting zone and is what I call it. And that's the ideal distance from your body. Different ways of saying that, you can say positioning, whatever, um, spacing. I like to call it the optimum hitting zone. Now, you can literally go into court and talk to great players that are playing in Grand Slam, semis, and finals, whatever, and say, hey, get the ball in the optimum hitting zone, get your, you know, the positioning. You can turn around and work with a 10 year old, and this applies. So, my point is when they're young, you want to be working on fundamental principles that allow a great foundation but it also allows for their own personal individual creativity and style to come through so that to me is really extraordinarily important now in order to teach the fundamental principles and give them justice, in my opinion, you also simultaneously, as with every aspect of the game, need to be parading um, and interjecting and, and have it interwoven. You want fundamental principles of life success to be just tied into everything. An example of that would be someone who works very hard at staying in the moment. Well, it's one of the fundamental principles in life. It's one of the fundamental principles in tennis. It's applicable at a young age. It's applicable at an older age, whether you're world-class or a senior. The idea of staying mentally focused in the moment, even to the extent of in the moment on the actual hit, in the moment, playing one point at a time. See, these are things that transcend time and levels. So I like to get immersed in coaching these uh, these fundamental principles with basically any athlete that I work with. So that's a mouthful, but I'll start with that.
1: Well, I think that's uh, so important that I, coming from a basketball background and coaching basketball for years and years before I got into um, tennis, I, I uh, Wood, of course, was one of the people that we looked to, and I would always think of his remarks when things fall apart: go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. And you, what you yep. just said is so important. It's it's going to be it, it's going to help you no matter what. If you become a great tennis player or or not, it's going to help you in life's journey. And I think that's one of the things that I think athletes. Uh, I prefer tennis, of course, but athletes I think have a, an advantage in life because they're used to competing. And unfortunately, in today's society, I think competitions become a bad word, and I don't think it should be.
0: Yes, and, and and you know you can expand upon what we were just saying to uh, fundamental principles of competing. Well, the first thing um, that I try to explain to the players is that tennis is an optional, um, either hobby, an optional sport activity, for virtually anybody. And as such, and with anything that you want to be outstanding at, you want to have a sense of joy and passion for what you're doing. So cultivating that with young kids, working on having a real joy and passion for what you're doing, and if you can in endear children to the game of tennis, get them really excited about developing, about improving, about practicing, and they develop a real passion for it, that's the engine that's going to hold you in good stead developmentally as you go along. And within that context, you start going over fundamental principles of competing and competition. For example, when I tell, you know what, You don't control the outcome. Great champions don't focus on the outcome while they're competing. They focus in on executing in the process, which will give them the best chance to get the results and or to get them performing as well as they can. You know, it's interesting. This morning I had uh, a young... Man in my office, first time I met him, he was there with his mother and he had a brother. And very serious about his tennis, very committed. And so I'm meeting him for the first time. And I said, Can you, you can't control the outcome. And I think I asked him, Can you? And he said, Yes. And I said, You actually don't control the outcome. I said, You can influence it. And actually, while you're competing, You don't want to focus on that. So he looked a little perplexed. So I got a piece of paper out, and I said, okay. I drew a circle, and I said, this represents your focus, 100% of your focus. And then I put underneath that a circle, and I said, this circle is going to represent um, focusing on the outcome. And then underneath, something you cannot control. And then I put in the other circle, there was another circle, and I said, this one represents focusing in on things you can control, like the process. And I said, you have 100% of your focus available. I said, what percentage do you want to put into the circle where you don't control what goes on, and what percentage do you want to put in the one in which you do? And in first he started, well, 10% in the one that I can't control on winning and 90% in the other. And it was funny because his younger brother was shaking his head in the back. His younger brother was behind him shaking his head, putting up his finger to say zero in the box. <laughs> and, and so after, after I explained it to him, I said, oh, okay, so you want, you want to focus 10% less on the process going to give you 10% less chance of you performing as well as you can and actually giving you 10% chance of even winning the match. So he began to see the point and it underscores the importance of educating, pointing out these key things, because I want him to understand that being a competitor emanates from the joy and passion of competing. And ultimately, it's not so much about the other team. It's not so much about the other person. It's about you learning to challenge yourself, learning to be all you can be, setting your own standards. So it's not even about just beating someone. It's not about that. It's about you being the best you can be. And that might mean you may win easily, or it may mean you lose. But ultimately, in the end, you're growing, evolving, moving forward. And when you focus on the things that you can control, there is an inherent growth in your enjoyment for the game, which then begets more passion and love for what you're doing And the more you focus on what you can control and let go of the other, you play more relaxed, more flowing, and you learn to be that great competitor who is able to perform in, quote, the perceived pressure situations because you're always focused on the things that you can control and the process which facilitates you performing at your best which ultimately is going to give you the best chance to win. So that would be another group of fundamental principles that I'd want to start uh, establishing in young people's minds in terms of their competitive spirit and how to approach competition. Uh, and that 's
1: and, and the great thing is it 's going to help them if, if there 's how they depend how successful they are at tennis we don 't know hopefully don 't enjoy it forever, but it 's going to help them continue on, which brings me to something else i 'd like to address is that um college preparation twenty some years ago. I got involved with high school tennis Uh, when I was president of the P.T.R. Florida section, and uh, the thing was, don't let your kid play high school tennis. Some science teacher is going to ruin it. And uh, I, I had a uh, athletic director that said, why don't you put your money where your mouth was? And for 20 years, I coached high school tennis on the side, and I see. Some of the same things happening now with college tennis. I'm hearing don't let, you know, the college tennis uh, go, uh, you know, go to the pros. And, and I know there's some people, you know, I like to talk about that professional track after if you want to. But college, it seems like at one time it was like a training ground for the American pros. Uh, Everything you just said is going to help the individual if they go to college to play tennis or any other sport. But can you talk a little about, you know, the college preparation and is there a way – can we wake up that uh, sleeping giant again and make college tennis more relevant than it is?
0: Well, look, there there are a lot of outstanding players – uh, you know, out on the pro tour that did go to university. The, um, you know, college is a wonderful training ground for athletes that um, that are aspiring to get an education and also to have the opportunity to play pro tennis. Um, and let me digress for a second in that there there are very very few players i mean very few players in the world, in particular in the United States that could justify passing up a scholarship to a great university to go on the pro tour um, you've got to be truly, truly exceptional and i'm not talking about you know somebody who's one of the best in the United States or something like that. We're talking about someone who is truly exceptional on a worldwide stage um, for their age. And and they don't come around very often. And they are not many people fit that that mold. So my point is that, first of all, very, very few people uh, should be turning pro before, before considering college Um, and there are a lot of people that would benefit enormously by um, going to a a great university and then you know benefit from maturing working on their games and uh, playing really good competition and you know getting a good education and then once they're in school, they can use it and make more mature decisions in terms of what is right for them as opposed to, you know, just quickly and uh, almost sometimes irrationally decide to go uh, professional. Now, having said this, there are a lot of universities that are legitimately trying to Provide opportunities for the players to really develop a world game. So there's a lot of outstanding coaches now and training programs that are really looking to accommodate those players that are looking to get a good education, but also are serious about playing at a world class uh, level. So I think there are enormous, enormous opportunities. And there are a lot of things. Um, I don't think there are many players that are deciding to um, turn pro before um, going to university. But I I will tell you that on the men's tour, other than on the men's tour, it is brutal out there. And if you're going to go, try to make it on the men's tour um, out of the juniors if you're phenomenal it might take you three years if you're truly a phenom out there uh, and there are only a few you don't see many players under 21 years old in the top 100 in the world So, um, it really is, should be reserved for a, an elite few to make that judgment pass a great university and then go from there straight to the professionals. I think in this case, the old uh, adage, you can have your cake and eat it too, is applicable. Having said that, I would be remiss. I think it's extraordinarily difficult for anybody at this stage, male or female, to be a legitimate grand slam prospect if they're going to college more than a couple of years. I just think because the other competition, the other elites are devoting every day, morning till night, to their tennis development. And when you're in college, you can have the benefit of getting a really good education getting some really good competition, getting stronger, and all that. But to compete against the best of the best, like Nadal, Federer, um, Serena, um, you know, Sloan Stevens, you know, these type of players, to compete with them, you you can maybe take a few years where you go to college, but to try to win Grand Slams, I think it's very tough. Now, Occasionally, you'll get an aberration, and I would love to be proved wrong. Like, it's been really, um, really exciting seeing that young gal Collins uh, broke through after going to school, um, I think, for four years, and she's a tremendous athlete and tremendous player. But, um, you know, so it's it's a quandary for the super elite players. And I think um, some of those they know who they are and their decisions to turn pro are, 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 justified and you kind of go for it. But um, for most of the others, I think they have to seriously consider going to college and, and play collegiate tennis is a really good option for them as they go along. One final note, I will say this, because this is, Important to me is that I believe, regardless of going to turn pro or um, going to a top university before, um, you know, before turning pro, regardless of what somebody chooses, I think in today's world with the with the tremendous opportunities for distance learning, that everyone should. If they were to pass up on college or they didn't complete their college before going pro, that almost everyone can and would benefit from continuing on even in distance training like online um, uh, classes to continue their education and ultimately get their degree.
1: Well, I think that's great advice. I do have one question, Nick, because I uh, the question is, do you think it's the same on the women's side as the men? I can't help to think, and forgive me, but I, um, as you get old, you get terrible with names. I can't think of her name, your cohort uh, in 2002 at the high-performance coaching. Uh, um,
0: Lynn, Lynn Raleigh?
1: Lynn Raleigh, God, oh, money, I'm terrible. Uh, But she had made a comment that women develop later and they could play and become champions much later. And it seems as though there's evidence of that now. I know the USTA let her go shortly after that. I always wondered in my own biased mind if that was one of the reasons or not. But. It's. It, it, what do you think of that With the men and women Is, is it the same
0: um, n- No I don't think it's the same I think quite to the contrary At, at a world class level The men are much slower Developing than the females Period mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean That somebody can't become A great player um, You know in their late 20s Or whatever it might be that's the same thing with the men. However, if you look closely, you know, and I've I've been blessed to work with a lot of, you know, male players that have gone on to be world class or and, and as well as females. And it's not unusual for me to work with a female player that uh, achieves a world class level at 16 or 17 years old. Now they may not be they may not be uh, you know top top in the world, you know, top 10 but you don't see any 16-year-old, 17-year-old male players anymore um, in, the top, in the top 100. It, it just doesn't happen. But you know what? You are, you've got a 15-year-old in there now and one of these other gals that I've worked with a bit. Um, you know, the dad is the primary coach, but I spent some time with her over the last four or five years. Uh, Amanda Anisimova. Unfortunately, she recently got uh, hurt. She um, fractured her her foot. But she, at 16, was 130 in the world. And the way she was going through the draws, you know, two or three more months, she would have been top 100 in the world, you know, at 16. So I believe there's one 15-year-old that's broken the top 100 uh, or almost 16. Amanda's like 130 in the world. So there's just no men like that. You might have one, uh, this kid from Canada, Dennis, uh, I, I I don't pronounce his name properly. He, I think he broke the top 118 and that's about as young, uh, as anybody been since, uh, I think we're off the almond So in a long winded answer, no, I do not agree. Um, I do not agree. Um, that the women develop slower. I believe the men develop much slower and if you're trying to cultivate um, I've, uh, let me say if you're trying to put together a developmental plan for a world class male and he's 16 years old and you want to put together a plan that's going to um, in the long term help them to become world class men, you've got to be looking at Minimum, a five-year plan, and now they may they may um, they may get get there earlier, and they may they may not, um, in fact, uh, need that much time. But four years would be extraordinary, and so, but for a female, when I was mapping out the plan for Jeannie Bouchard when she was fourteen, I had her um a world-class player by 19 and that was very very conservative and uh she broke through that and when she was 19 she was already 30 something in the world in route to top 10 in the world within um shortly after her 20th birthday and that was kind of a meteorotic uh, uh rise up the rankings but uh, you just don't see that much
1: in the men. Right. I. Uh, they, we have, we covered some of that third question and that I had, I had was that professional track and decisions that should be considered and that Canadian. I just I'm fascinated with him too, not just because of his age, but I, I I've seen your, which I thought was obvious weekend, uh, weakness. You know, him sitting there addressing it. And you have to address it when somebody goes out and attacks your weakness all the time. I, mean, yeah, I guess you have no choice yeah. in the matter. Bob, would you like it? Is there anything that we could um, include in that decisions which should be considered for that professional track?
0: Yeah, well, uh, yeah, there are very specific <clears throat> things. So, for example, um, somebody who's going to go pursue. Um, a professional track has to have a plan together, and it has to be funded. Either they're funded by the federation, or their family has the means in which to do this properly, or they have sponsorship, they sign contracts, something. But if you put somebody out there to, to say, "Oh, I'm going to go play pro tennis," and and so on and so forth, and they don't have the resources to do it properly. You're basically setting them up to fail. So that would be really important. So when kids come to me and say, I really want to play pro tennis, I said, okay, you're talking about a four-year plan. You're going to need to have a, a trainer that you have at least at home that's going to be able to give you programs on the road. You're going to most likely need someone to travel with you, possibly, you know, a coach that you can share with somebody else. You're going to need a place to train in the off season or when you're not at tournaments. And then you're going to need to travel 30 weeks. And it's probably, you know, going to cost you, if you do it on a slim budget, maybe a hundred thousand a year. And, you know, you've got to be able to fund that for uh, three years, hopefully three or four years. Hopefully you start making enough inroads where you're making some of that money back. And so the costs go down. You might have to get a sponsor. Uh, I don't know. But you can't go into it starry-eyed and say, I'm just going to put in a lot of hard work and and somehow it's going to magically emerge uh, that you're a world-class player. So having said that, uh, having a plan and the resources, you're going to need a developmental team leader, somebody that's going to help guide you, and preferably somebody who, has uh, maturity and experience where they understand what you're trying to do and what, what uh, needs to get done, uh, and you need some world-class coaching. So coaching, financing, putting together a plan, a place to train, these are all factors. And you know what? There's, there's one factor which really gives you a clear indication as to where you're at, and that is results. If you you should have exceptional results at whatever level you're currently at, um, and then progressing from there. If you are unable to say perform well at the collegiate level, and then you think somehow miraculously you want to say, oh, but I'm really serious now, and I'm going to go out on the pro tour and really make it happen, well. Uh, It sounds like a flawed policy. So these are some of the factors that somebody needs to take into consideration and then realize it's a slow burn in terms of you've got to, you know, take one step and another step, and you have to plan on grinding through right into 21, 22, sometimes 23, and uh, beyond. Well,
1: uh, great advice, and uh, and I think what youth, the way it is, and uh, sometimes, especially when you get my age, uh, uh, you forget all the dumb things that we did. We file them away in part of our brain that we don't go into too often. But um, uh, I, I think that, you know, optimism sometimes can get you in trouble. I have grandsons into baseball, and they'll be going into college next year playing baseball blessed uh never stay play tennis, but they're um blessed to have them as competitors but they're just uh, uh you know thinking that you know they' one of the two says that I don't know how long I want to stay in uh uh college because he thinks she's going to be in the pros but uh, and I pray he's right and I'm wrong but uh i I think you've got to, i am i'm gonna tell my daughter to make sure they especially listen to this broadcast today but I I think sometimes it's hard for coaches and there's a fine line I understand I think it's easier when you get older to sit there I think most coaches want to tell the people the truth but sometimes I think that uh, you know they just don't present it or they don't have the experience that you do present it the way you present it, but I I think that's so important that these uh, kids, uh, the the maturity factor is important. I mean, there's no two ways about it in the growth, and uh, uh, people don't don't understand dollars. I don't think, and I didn't. Yeah.
0: Yes, but having said all this, it's very important not to squelch or squash dreams. And so it's, it's, you're not there to discourage people. You're there to help them put together a realistic plan that will enable them and facilitate them uh, becoming successful. And so – but if there weren't people that were willing to take a chance, um, you know, if you go out of the spectrum of sports – you go to somebody like a Bill Gates who and, and uh, uh, you know, other people that drop out of college to start their business. They took a chance. You know, there's, there's right. a lot of people. You know, Pete Sampras uh, didn't go to college. Andre Agassi didn't go to college. Jim Currier didn't go to college. Michael Chang didn't go to college. And then you go Andy Roddick passed on college. You go down the list, and all these people were willing to give it a shot. But none of it was irresponsible. It was well thought out, and it was uh, really methodically approached, and good things happened. So we want to make sure we have a responsibility to not discourage people, but put them on a pathway where they have the best chance to be successful and also to make intelligent, well-informed decisions.
1: Yeah, excellent point. I think one of the I, – I borrowed one of your lines for years and years because one of the things that upsets me sometimes is when I hear people talking about uh, parents, So maybe we could get into that just a little, but I, I remember you saying back in 2002 that uh, – you know, the parents are giving you the most precious asset that they have, and that's their children. And uh, I, my wife and I, uh, I've always said that the only two um you know, perfect parents I ever known were Bobby and I. And sometimes I wondered about her, and she says, and often I wondered yeah. about you. But
0: uh, yeah, that's funny. So it, uh, Absolutely.
1: The dealing, can do you have time to spend a couple minutes just talking about the dealing with the parents?
0: Yeah, I think I think uh, first of all, when you're dealing with parents, you have to first start with some empathy and understanding. Of, of what it means to have a child and and how it 's so difficult for any of us to be um, to be clear and objective with our own children we you know most cases really adore the children, and you know we want we think the world of them and you know so dealing with parents, you have to empathize that uh, this is their precious child that they are more passionately involved than anyone else. And therefore, it's really important to respect their position and to try to work with them. And once they know that you understand how significant their child is to them and they know that you sense that and that you're honoring that, then they'll be more inclined. There's a saying that goes, I don't care what you say until I know you care. And so when people um, are going to have you work with a child and you're going to work with parents, first of all, they've got to know you're engaged, that you're committed, that you understand this is important, and you need to express that with your actions, not just your words. Then, having said that, it's really important to understand that anyone who has children knows that that is often one of the most, uh, the areas in which we'll invoke the strongest reaction and passionate responses of pretty much almost anything in our lives is, and so parents might sometimes react or overreact. Um, They might be overly protective. Again, you have to earn the trust. You have to be able to explain and explain to them what you're doing and why. Because I would not advise a parent to trust a coach until that coach earns the trust. And so when you go into it as a coach with that kind of approach, then you're going to get um, a better response from the the parents. And uh, then you have to earn that trust and that respect from the parents every day as well as with the child. So if somebody takes that approach, they're going to generally have some some good success dealing with parents. Having said that, there's some people that no matter what you do, um, it, it's not going to be good enough, and, and that's the nature of the beast. True.
1: And I think that's the great opportunity to be one to be truthful with them is the I've often uh, said people, when they say, what's going to happen with my child, I always tell them, I always thought my son was going to be the next uh, Bob Cousy, and uh, he turned out in high school going to football and becoming a tennis pro after, so it shows how smart I was. So so don't ask me about, you know, where your child's going to be after, because I'm not smart enough, but I will. Assist you in trying to develop whatever he or she wants. So, and I think that's what yeah. you have to do. You have to be truthful. Nick, we've gone yeah. through a, just about a whole broadcast, and I appreciate you taking the time. And I just, uh, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the week I spent in Maryland with you is something I talked about often. Uh, uh, somebody that coached for uh, not tennis but I had coached for uh, at that time some 30 years and I always tell people you can learn from your students you can learn from younger people and you were much younger than me but I, I thank you so much for that experience because it helped me realize that I could take a basketball philosophy into tennis and make it work can you tell the people how to get a hold of you because Many of our audience, should, I'm sure, are like me and uh, either can use your services or have children or friends that can.
0: Well, yes. I mean, first of all, anyone can Google, um, you know, Saviano High Performance uh, Tennis, and uh, that's the, the name of our academy. And if anyone wanted my email, it's pretty easy. It's it's Nick at savianotennis.com and uh, you know we, they can google our website uh, you know it's www.savianotennis.com so we're pretty easy to find and you know we run a medium to small academy uh, I would say it's closer to medium size but it's very personalized and it is um, you know really based on our uh, trying to help each and every one of the children to achieve their, their goals and aspirations, not only on the court, but off the court as well. So, um, and also, I just wanted to say uh, a big thank you to you for what all you do. And even with this radio show and the, the years that you put into coaching um, and your whole mentality and philosophy is, is positively affected many, many uh, people. And it's, it's really a privilege and a pleasure for me to have spent this uh, hour on the radio with you.
1: Well, it's been a blessing for me, and I'm sure those of you in the audience uh, realize the time that's gone by and realize I'm not going to have a commentary after. But like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, I do that when I have time. And, uh, I, and this is the first time in three years I've had uh blessings to have Nick Saviano on so you don't get a mentor like that that often so that was more important than what I had to say I will remind you that next week is the first Thursday of the month Alan Fox is still in Europe he will not be with us Uh, but I am blessed to uh, have uh, with us Ottawa University men's and women's uh, head tennis coach Scott Inge and Scott Inge is somebody that I've been blessed to know him as a uh, high school coach. He's come from the high school family. Uh, He was with me uh, at the University of Rhode Island when I was uh, coordinator for the World Scholar uh, Athlete Games, and uh, he's done a lot for high school tennis. He still gives out the uh, uh, top 25 high school teams in the uh, country every year and uh but he's now coaching uh college tennis, and uh he's coaching uh, uh division three school, so it should be an interesting uh week next week um Nick if there's I have a minute and a half left. is there anything you'd like to say before we go off the air?
0: Well, no, just a uh, thank you once again and and to all the coaches. Out there, it's um, as I said before. It is a a real um, significant responsibility when you're um, mentoring, coaching, and educating uh, young people. In particular, it's not always a job where you get a tremendous amount of acknowledgement or thank you. So, you know, realize each day you're you're lighting kind of a small light in the darkness some of the time. And it's a lot better to do that, um, especially in this world. And you can have a profound impact on a a lot of young people. And in the end, you keep plugging away, you're going to find there's a lot of people that are very, very appreciative for your efforts, even if at that moment in their life, they're not able to really fully articulate and express their appreciation. It will come back tenfold in the long run.
1: Yes, it will. And uh, I pray that everybody has a beautiful week. I look forward to talking with you again next Thursday. Please tell your uh, friends to listen to the broadcast. I will be putting this up on the coaching networks that I belong to. And uh, I. I thank uh, Nick Saviano again. This is the type of things we try to do. I think that we all, uh, if tennis has been good for you, then we have a responsibility to share. And the great coaches, uh, they will share the information. And it's, uh, so I feel blessed to be able to bring this broadcast with you every week. I do thank the Yellow Ball Network, I thank Florida Tennis. Uh, magazine for letting me uh, write my articles every week, and I pray we talk again next week. Bye now.